My name is Don Earhart, and um, thanks for coming this morning. Hopefully you didn't have to row your boat in. Um, I was practicing this message last night, just me and Jesus here in this room, and and, uh, God provided a waterfall coming out of the ceiling that landed in in the baptismal tub, which was kind of fun and funny. (laughs) Oh. It, it was, uh, it was God's, God's just sense of humor to help me relax a little. Um, up till recently, my, my job description here has been the pastor of student ministries, and as of Bill's resignation, John Richardson and I are, are stepping up as the interim pastors of First Free, and it has been a great joy to kind of transition to hang out with some adults and have some, have some uh, more adult conversations, although I will say that there is something pure about childhood that I'm... I'm wrestling with on the adult side that's we got some issues <laughs> we got some issues but anyway I'm thrilled to be here and I'm thrilled to be to be able this morning and for for the next weeks months however long it takes to be part of of uh, encouraging us to follow Jesus Christ I love Jesus I've been following Jesus now for years and God is still is still working on me I'm so excited to be a follower of him I'm thrilled to help others fall in love with him that's my passion that's why that's why I'm here and uh and so, God, this morning I ask that you would help me to proclaim your truth in a, in a compelling, fun, exciting way. And I thank you for it. In Jesus, Jesus' name. Well, I'm calling this morning's message, God's Good News. And I was at this meeting Friday night, and I put this on, but I don't want to mess my hair up. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, but I'm calling this morning's message, Good News from God. And I've got my, my words, good news, on here. And I'll hop in that tub here in a little while. But... Good news from God. And if you're here this morning and, uh, and you need some good news, then this, this message I think will be, will be encouraging to you. If you have a broken heart, if you're in the middle of a struggle, if you're losing, losing hope, uh, if you're just frustrated, this message is especially, especially for you. So please turn to Mark chapter 1 in your Bible or, or your, your Bible app on your smartphone and we'll get, we'll get going here. Last year, last year, 2016, was a, a frustrating year for me. Um, it was actually one of the most challenging years of, of my life, and I, I needed some good news, so let me kind of break it down for you. The church leadership here blessed me with a two-month break from my normal duties, and, uh, and I came up with some, some goals and a way to refresh some things and, and, and just to, to spend some time with my family, with the Lord. And in the middle of that two-month time, one of my goals was to write a book. And it was a book called Lessons in Life I've Learned on My Bicycle. And, and over the last 20-plus years, I have ridden enough miles on my bicycle to actually ride around the globe twice. It's a lot of hours on your buns. And um, my, my book was, was going to aim at helping people to, to see God through the, the mundane daily life. And it was, it was something that, that I felt started to happen as I rode bikes uh, over a regular period of time. That I, I just saw life lessons that were, that were magnified as I rode the bike, and I, I wanted to, to, uh, to write a book about it. But little did I know that one of the hardest life lessons that I was going to learn was going to happen during this time period. And on July 28th, uh, in the middle of um, Taylor Avenue in Kirkwood, I had a freak bicycle accident. And I, I obliterated my elbow. Uh, I, had, I now have two plates and 17 screws in, in my elbow. And it was, it, was, it was a really tough time 
for me. Um, and it sent me on, it sent me on a, a, um, a spiritual tailspin. And it caught me by surprise. And, and in the middle of this whole time, um, I started to wrestle with some basic questions that I thought I had worked through, but, but God needed to do some more work. And here, here, here were the questions. God, uh, are you real? And God, where are you? And, and for me, it was, where, where were you? And then, and then, God, can I trust you? God, are you real? God, where are you? And God, God, can I trust you? Can I trust you? After the, the accident, um, my left arm is my dominant hand. I was unable to use my fingers. I uh, couldn't use my wrist. couldn't bend my arm. Um, simple things like putting on deodorant, combing your hair, washing your hair, and other interesting things that we do with our dominant hands uh, were, were not an option. And um, couldn't, I couldn't close a car door. I couldn't turn the steering wheel on a car. Um, the drugs that, that I were on that I was on left the days very, very fuzzy. I couldn't read. I couldn't concentrate. When I tried to go to sleep at night, I couldn't sleep. And, and uh, in the middle of all this, day after day after day after day after day, I, I, was, I was really frustrated. And, and I was angry. And uh, to be honest with you, I was scared. I was scared. And ultimately, ultimately, it led me to, to a, a very dark place in my life. And, and um, I felt that if God didn't give me some clarity, some clarity as to what was going on, that, that ultimately my job as, as a pastor, and, and specifically in, in light of helping high school students fall in love with Jesus, was in jeopardy. That, that if I didn't get some clarity, I was, I was going to quit at the end of this process. And let me, let me break down why, why I felt that. I wanted people to know that God was real that God was there to take care of them, that they could trust God with all of their lives. And now God had allowed me to go through this crash during a time that was supposed to be this refreshment time. And, and if I couldn't, on the other end of it, stand up in front of our high school students and tell them that they could completely trust God, no matter what life was going to throw at them, then I, I needed to do something else. And, and I really was at a fork of the road in my life. You guys, this is, this is not that long ago. This is just a few months ago. Um, and, and I wasn't even sure I could trust God anymore. And I knew things would never be the same. I wasn't sure what was going to happen with the arm. But, but I, I really didn't know what life was going to look like on the other side of, of this, whole, this whole thing. And, and I have a feeling if I could get alone with you, if we could go have coffee and talk and tell our stories, dig deep enough, um, if we were honest enough, I think we could all admit to wrestling through some of this similar God stuff. We all want to know God's real, don't we? We, we all want to know that, that God really cares, that we can ultimately trust him. But just think through even, even your last week, your normal week. How many times in the normal week um, do we feel swallowed up by the challenges of life and just, just gut it through? And, and we don't even turn to God oftentimes in the midst of, of whatever the challenges a week brings us. And, and even in our church family, um, I'm around people every week, people who are wrestling through their relationship with God. And even in us, in us church folks, I see a pattern 
of looking for our good news in other places than with God. And so what, what's my point? Well, we have a good news problem. We, we do. We have a good news problem. It's pervasive. And oftentimes the last person we turn to for good news is God. Which brings us to Mark chapter 1 this morning um, from the Bible. And um, Mark wrote this letter to a Roman audience who I think was, were struggling with some of the same, the same issues that, that I was and I think that we all do. Um, you see, there had been a 400-year kind of a silent period in, in, in the history of God's people. Um, and I think in the middle of this, this place where it seemed that God was silent, people were asking, God, God are you real? Where are you? And can we trust you? I think this, they had the same questions that, that we wrestle with. And then in the middle of, of that time period, something crazy happens. I mean, it was out of this world crazy. And, and a group of people start running around. Come, they start proclaiming that God is bringing a new beginning. There's this new beginning that, that's coming from God and that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, that God is alive, there is hope. This message, this new beginning was started to be proclaimed. And, and here's, here's where it, it gets interesting if you study the history at that time. You see, the Romans were running around telling the people, you need to keep the gods happy. Appease the gods. You are here, you people, to serve the gods. Keep them happy. Do whatever it takes. That was the prevailing message of the day. But the message that these Jesus followers was proclaiming or were proclaiming was a radically different message. It it was turned upside down. Here was their message. No, 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 that's not right. God has come to serve you. It's a new beginning. It's a new day. God has actually come to serve the people. And it was a radical message. And even the Jewish people struggled with it. It wasn't the kind of Messiah that they, that they had pictured in their minds. So what's so good about it all? Well, this morning, let's get started uh, as we look at what Mark and the Jesus followers seem to be so, so stoked about. And we're going to look at the first 13 verses in the, in the book of Mark. Um, so let me, let me start with my first point in, in my outline. I have three points this morning, and it's actually on your handout, on the back of your handout, the three points, if you want to follow along. Here's my first point I want us to think about. And this, this will come from our, our first 13 verses of Mark. The first point is that God keeps his promises, that God keeps his promises. And this is, this is good news that God keeps his promises. John Richardson last week went through uh, the first verse, and, and it really is a, um, a foundation to what we're going to be talking about for weeks and weeks as we work through this book of Mark. We'll come back to it because it's an important, it's an important sentence, but, but here it is, chapter one, or Mark 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if I could have the freedom just to paraphrase it just a little, I'd like to paraphrase it to this. A new beginning from God. Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus is the Son of God. A new beginning from God. Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus is the Son of God. If you know anything about Jewish history, you you know that God had promised to send a Savior, a Deliverer, a Messiah. And the Israelites had been waiting for years for these promises to be fulfilled. And the voice of the prophets had, had been stilled for some time, and the Romans had pressed in. 
And in the middle of that, Mark opens this whole book with good news. This is the beginning of good news from God. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Well, let's keep going. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 as Mark begins to unfold what this means for us. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the paths for him. This was a promise from hundreds and hundreds of years ago um, from Isaiah and also from, from the prophets Malachi, Malachi and, and, and Isaiah. And the, the prophetic message to God's people was there was going to be a forerunner who would come, a forerunner of the Messiah. And he would be a messenger who would go ahead of the Messiah. And he would prepare the way for this coming Messiah. And that this forerunner of the Messiah would, would be unique and that his message that he proclaimed from his mouth would actually come from a desert place. It wouldn't be in, in Jerusalem. It would come from the desert. And that, and that his voice would be one that pointed people to this Messiah and encouraged them to get right. Get, get right. God is coming. God is on the move. Pre- repent. The time has come. God is at work. And so let's look at verses 4 and 5 as, as Mark begins to unfold the story for us. And Mark says... And so, and so, John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out with him, went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan, the Jordan River. So Mark is saying, hey, John the Baptist, he fits the bill here. He is this forerunner to the Messiah. He is the one who, uh, who has, has met the qualifications. He is the one. The forerunner has come. He came baptizing in the desert. He's preaching a baptism of repentance. He's asking people to get ready for the Messiah. And we're told that the masses came to him. The masses came to him. Now, this, this was interesting for me to, to, to think about and wrestle through. Um, I don't know what you picture when you think of John the Baptist, but I picture this rough guy with this beard. He's got food particles in it, and, and, uh, and he's just out in the desert screaming at people, pointing at them, repent, repent, get your life right. I mean, that's, that was the picture I had in my mind. I don't know about you, but I, I want you just to think about this. Because sometimes we, I think we miss the beauty of God's scriptures. If there was some guy out in rural Missouri dressed like a hippie and screaming at people to repent, do you think the city of St. Louis would clear out to go see him? I don't think, I don't think we would. I think, I think we wouldn't even know it's happening. And so what, what's going on here? Why, why would Mark say that all of Judea, the whole Judean countryside in Jerusalem, basically cleared out to see this guy, John, who was out in the middle of the desert. I mean, they had to walk miles and miles, hours and hours to get to him. Why would they do, why would they do that? There's something going on. There was something in this message that John was bringing to the people that was giving them hope. That's the only thing I can figure out. Why, why would they go out there? There was something awe-inspiring and God-centered and, and awesome that was attractive. And they were going out by the masses. And Mark uses very specific words. And he said all of the Judean countryside and the areas in Jerusalem basically cleared out and went to the desert. John 
was giving them hope that God had not forgiven them. That's the only, that's the only thing that makes sense. Well, let's keep going. Verse 6. Uh, we get a little idea of what John looked like, and at least a lot what he wore. He wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. That's all we got. Um, I think the point that Mark is trying to make is this John the Baptist, he, he wasn't like the, the normal spiritual leaders of the day who were dressed in elaborate robes and were hanging out uh, in, the, in the temples. Um, John was very different. He, his message was a different message. It wasn't a message of, of pomp and circumstance. It was a message of humility and calling people back to what was really, really important. So, um, Mark is, is building the case here. And, he, and my first point is that God keeps his promises. And Mark is saying, first of all, the Messiah has come. It is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that his forerunner has come. His name is John. And then, and then there's another promise that I think actually reaches out and touches us. It touches us, and I love it. And look at verses 7, 7, and 8. It says, and this was his message, John the Baptist, the John who was baptizing. This was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he, this coming Messiah, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's message was that I am proclaiming that this Messiah is coming. It's coming. And he is going to baptize you in the very presence and the spirit of God. My, my baptism is a baptism of water. The water will drip off. The water will dry. But when this Messiah comes, the baptism that he will bring to you, it will be the very presence of God permeating you, permeating you. And, and we know that's true from, from the other Gospels. My water baptism, baptism is a baptism of water pointing to the true baptism, the baptism of God's very spirit. So God keeps his promises. It's good news. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling and if you're wondering if, if God's trustworthy, I, I just want to remind you that God keeps his promises. All right, let's move on to the second point for this morning. Um, my second point is that I want us to, to think about is this, and it's that Jesus has declared God's son at his baptism. How do we know he's God's son? Well, he's declared God's son at his baptism. Let's, let's look at why, why I would say that. Let's look at verses 9, 10, and 11. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. So Jesus shows up. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, and with you, with you, I am well pleased. There's a lot happening here, and, and uh, we could probably spend hours talking about it, but I just want to highlight a few things that I think, that I think are pertinent to this morning. And... Um, the first is that Jesus' baptism, as Jesus comes, John the Baptist, and is baptized, his baptism actually inaugurated his public ministry as the Messiah. We're told from Mark here that Jesus comes from this little obscure town, Nazareth, up in, the, in Galilee, way north of, of where, Je, or where John was baptizing. And, and um, it would be an obscure little town, 
Um, he would be unknown for the most part. And he comes down into this desert region where all the masses are. And it really is an inauguration of Jesus coming from obscurity into the place where the people are. It's his inauguration of his public ministry as the Messiah. Another thing that that I think is interesting to note as Jesus comes to be baptized is that I think his baptism actually identifies him with, with sinful humanity. Jesus' baptism identifies him with sinful humanity. All the other people who were coming to John to be baptized uh, were coming to repent, to prepare for this Messiah who was to come. They were coming confessing their sins. They were baptized in water as a way to get right because, because God was coming. The Messiah was coming. But Jesus didn't have to do that, right? He didn't come to confess his sins. He was sinless. But what he did come to do, and he did come and, and allow himself to be baptized, he came to relate to us. He came to be one of us. He came to, to identify with us, to identify with sinful humanity. It's, it's, really, it's really good news. Something else um, that I love. In the middle of this baptism, we actually have God the Father showing up and solidifying the news that Jesus is the Son of God. So there are several things that happen. Jesus uh, is baptized by John. He goes in the water. He comes, as he comes out of the water, Mark says that the heavens were torn open. That Jesus looks up and the heavens were torn open and the Spirit descends from the heaven and comes upon Jesus. And, and these, these words are unique words that Mark uses. Torn, the heavens were torn apart. There's only one other time that, that Mark uses the same wording, and it's at Jesus' crucifixion. Do you remember what happened at the crucifixion and the death of Jesus? At the point where Jesus dies, something else is torn apart from top to bottom. Do you remember that? The curtain that was in the temple, we're told that it was torn from top to bottom at Jesus' death. And it's as if God the Father is bookending the, the ministry of Jesus. As Jesus comes in humility to be baptized by John, the heavens are torn open and the Spirit descends on him. And then later on, as Jesus dies on the cross, the curtain in the temple is torn from top to bottom in half. God the Father making a statement to us. But that's, that's not all that happens. There actually is an audible voice that... that God the Father speaks, you are my son. You are my son. God the Father actually speaks and confirms that Jesus is his son. You are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. I am well pleased. And then the, uh, the last thing that I think is really interesting that we don't see very often is we actually see the Trinity in this section. There aren't very many, the Trinity at work, the triune God. There aren't many places in Scripture where you actually see the Father, Son, and the Spirit at work at the same time. And this is one of those places. And so we see Jesus being declared as God's Son, not by people, but by God the Father and by the Spirit. Jesus is the Son of God who identifies with us, and that's good news. Which brings me to my third point, and it's this. Jesus begins to serve us at his temptation. Jesus begins to serve us at his temptation, and this is good news. Let's look at verses 12 12 and 13. These are the last two verses for, for this morning. 
at once, or in some of the other versions, immediately. This is a word that Mark uses over and over and over again, more than any of the other uh, New Testament writers combined. At once or immediately, the Spirit sent him, sent Jesus out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. You know, when we translate uh, into English from the original, from the original scripts, we sometimes lose the, the power and the strength of the words, and this is one of those cases. Uh, in the NIV version, we're told that the Spirit sent Jesus out into the desert, and it really doesn't capture the true meaning. It's, it's way stronger than that. You could, you could say the Spirit drove Jesus. So immediately as, after Jesus is baptized, and as he comes up out of the water, the heavens are torn open, the Spirit comes down upon him, immediately, Mark says, the Spirit drives him out into a deeper wilderness, into a deeper, a deeper desert. And we're told that Jesus was submissive and he was totally dependent on the Spirit to allow himself to be driven, even in this wilder wilderness, by, by the Holy Spirit. And we're told that, that he was engaged by Satan there for 40 days. We know from Matthew and Luke that he fasted and there are a lot of other details that we get in Matthew and Luke from what, what has happened. But Mark lets us know that it, it was an intense time driven by the Holy Spirit into the, out into this desert place. And Mark says there are wild animals out there, which he's the only one that mentions this. And the, and the scholars try to figure out, well, what, why did Mark say that? And some think that maybe because Mark's letter was written to a Roman audience, and the, the Romans of the day would have known that one of the things that the Romans do to punish people is they would wrap them in wild animal skins and send them out to the lions, uh, which happened to the Christians uh, later on in history by the Romans, um, maybe, maybe Mark was just giving some of these Romans who were under a lot of pressure to follow Jesus, a lot of pressure if they had followed Jesus, to let them know that Jesus at all also, he also had, had to struggle with wild animals as he, was, as he was tempted. We don't really know. But what we do know is, is Mark says the angels attended to Jesus, which is interesting because in the book of Hero, he, Hebrews later on, as it's written later on and becomes part of our, our New Testament, we, we are told that the angels actually are ministering spirits who, who have come to serve those who will inherit salvation. So that would make sense that angels, angels would attend to Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so Jesus begins to serve us at his temptation. He willingly obeys. He heads out into this deep wilderness to engage Satan. And it was the start of Jesus' service to us. He went in obedience and in the power of the Spirit straight to our enemy, for us. So the book of Mark jumps right into this good news, and there's much action to come later as we work through the following chapters in the next weeks and the, and the next months together. But I just want to remind you of these three points and kind of throw them together for you so, so that they're a little more poignant. First, God keeps his promises. Second, Jesus was declared God's son at his baptism by God the Father. God the Father didn't want there to be any doubt and third, Jesus immediately went to work to begin his ministry to serve us, to save us from our enemy, to serve us by engaging the ruler of this world, as, as Paul called Satan. Well, this is, this is really good news. It's good news for you and for me. It's good news to know that God is actively going to battle for us, that God intervened in history by sending Jesus to our world to rescue us. The good news has begun. So let me... Let me turn the tide and say, and answer those who are thinking 
that's a really nice story, Don. So what? What does that have to do with us? Connect the dots. Connect the dots. Well, do you remember me telling you the story about my, my elbow injury? A- after months of rehab, uh, tearing my tricep tendon off of my bone in rehab, um, two surgeries, more setbacks, not getting the results I wanted, uh, I was wrestling with God big time. And, um, and I was asking those questions. Where are you, God? Can I trust you? What are you doing? And he kept showing me in his word the most amazing things. He kept showing me instances of these horrible things happening to people. And over time, God would take the horrible things and he would turn them around and actually turn them into to awesome things. And I saw it over and over and over again. And it was like God was taking this lump of coal and turning it into, into a diamond. And, and I felt like God was impressing upon me that even though all I could see was, was setbacks, that he would ultimately help me to be more influential for him in ministry if I just let go and just trust him. And it was, it was really hard. But I began during that time to quote the beginning of Psalm 91 over and over and over and over. God, God, you are my refuge. God, you're my fortress. You are my God in whom I trust. God, you, you are my refuge. You are my fortress. You are my God in whom I trust. God, you are my refuge. You are my fortress. You are my God in whom I trust. Over and over, day after day, multiple times. And in the midst of that season, I had my final meeting with my surgeon. And um, I was whining, and he, he basically said, Stop whining. Do you understand, Don, Don that with the, with the severity of your injury, one in a thousand people get their arms straight? One in a thousand. Don, you can straighten your arm. Quit whining. Do you understand? You, you can do it. You can do it. He had good news for me. And I was so entrenched in my pain, though, and my circumstances that that I'd missed this good news. It was right under my shoulder. I was getting full motion of my arm back. It was right there. I just didn't recognize it because I was lost in pain. I was lost in my rehabs. I was lost in in no sleep, nerve challenges. Uh, I felt like God had abandoned me, but he hadn't. He was working out his purposes in me. The diamond that was beginning to glisten through the coal, I got a glimpse of what it was like to to be driven by the Spirit into the desert, to be tempted by Satan. And now, months later, I can stand here and unequivocally tell you, more than ever, you can trust God. You can trust God. You can trust God. You can trust God. So let me try to turn the story from me to you here this morning. Are you so entrenched in your circumstances, like like I was, that you've missed the good news of God to you? Think about it. If Jesus would not have allowed himself to be led by the Spirit into the wilderness, if he would have given in to Satan's temptations in that desert, the life he lived showing his authority over everything would have been compromised. Jesus' sacrifice for our sins would never have happened on the cross. We'd still be in need of someone to rescue us, to save us. 
We wouldn't be filled with God's spirit. We'd be stuck fending for ourselves. But Jesus did follow the spirit. And he went through a horrific temptation for us. And as we'll see in the coming weeks, the Son of God came to deliver us from Satan, from death, from evil, from a life of devoid of a relationship with God. God really has come to serve his people. God really has come to serve us. So, what if the wilderness, what if the wilderness we often find ourselves in might actually be God's pathway to overcoming our biggest enemy? What if the wilderness we find ourselves in might actually be God's pathway to overcoming our enemy? What if we've mistaken our circumstances to mean God is not for us? What if that's a mistake? How would our days look different if we really believed that God keeps his promises? And how would our priorities look different if we realized that God is real? That God is always working things for our good through Christ Jesus. That the most trustworthy person there is, is God. God sees you. God loves you. He's not forgotten you. You matter to God enough that he would send his son from heaven to earth to take your place in death, to give you new life, a relationship with him, his very spirit residing in you. You guys, it's good news. It's really, really good news. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. And so if you're here this morning and you've never put your trust in Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, to rescue you, today can be that day. It can be the day that you and God begin your relationship. Jesus' promise is that he would fill you with his very presence, that he would come and reside in you to begin to transform you to the child he's chosen you and created you, you to be. It's the best news you will ever get. Never in your life will you hear better news, ever. God is for you. And if you're here this morning and you've lost hope that God cares about you, let me remind you that if God is for you, who can be against you? If God is for you, who can be against you? He's bigger than your circumstances and he keeps his promises. And as Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. But that's next week's messages, message with John. So we'll pick that up when he comes back. I want to close this morning by having us all stand together. And I, I want to have us pray together a prayer. So will you stand with me? I'm going to say a sentence. I meant to have it on the screen. Uh, I blew it and it didn't happen. But, um, so I'm just going to say a prayer. And I'm going to ask you guys to repeat it. All right? And so here it is. Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness. For not believing your good news. I ask you to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Your very presence. I acknowledge that the kingdom of God is near. 
Take, me, take my life and make me the man or the woman that you are calling me to be. Amen.